No, get those lights off. Off. Chocolate, chocolate chip. Well, that hurts my feelings. Please clap. Well, Joe Biden's had a horrible, no good, very bad week. Let's talk about it. I'm the acting speaker of the pod, Tyler Williams, and I'm joined by our fake news ambassador, Peter Vicenzi, and Luke Hogue, our red tape wrangler. Gentlemen, welcome. Nice to be standing here. Right? I like the ambiance. Yeah. I believe Thomas Jefferson once called his house uh, Monticello um, in a state of perpetual revolution. Mm. And I think that's kind of the nature of the podcast as we change sets and such on a week-to-week basis. Creative destruction. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, his his week. What a cluster F this has been. I mean, the past 14 days or so has been pretty terrible for the Biden administration. Yeah, it's pretty much, if your name is Joe Biden, you're not having a very good time. Um, I mean, geez, where to even begin? We could start about, um, start talking about his speech on Tuesday. Um, Yeah, well, I know uh, we were talking last week about how Joe Biden seems to have perpetual foot and mouth disease. Mm -hmm. And uh, this week just proved that once again, you know, uh, he can go out and give as many scripted speeches as he wants, but that's not going to. It's not going to make anything better. And, you know, it was really weird to watch uh, his latest speech on, I guess it's kind of on Afghanistan. So he started off by talking about Tuesday one. Yeah, he started off by talking about uh, infrastructure and the budget and then kind of tried to pivot to Afghanistan, um, which is just very tone deaf, if you ask me. You know, uh, he did a bad job with the, the first announcement. He keeps doing a worse job with each announcement that keeps coming out. You know, um, we, we joked a long uh, while back during the campaign about Bunker Biden mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they didn't want to put him in front of a microphone because, uh, well, apparently this is what happened. So, you know, I kind of I'm starting to understand uh, the White House's comm strategy of, you know, keep him away from a microphone as much as possible. But does that really work if, if it's not on the campaign trail? I mean, this guy's supposed to be leading the country and he can't even read from a, a script. He's got his own note right. cards there and he stumbles on this. And that's not saying we know he's, a, you know, a speech impediment things like that that's totally understandable but it's like you can't he's losing his train of thought uh there's obvious things going on uh whether you know he's having cognitive issues here i think that a lot of people want to talk about that uh but you know he he can't even take questions in these speeches anymore what were you saying about that yeah the well that's the that's where he started to even lose the press Mm -hmm. is the repeated no questions Mm -hmm. and as far as going back to your comment about the white house comms team I mean, good Lord, how many, like, footage have we seen pictures of Joe Biden with his back turned to the camera? And it, and the headlines, for the right at least, write themselves as being like, Joe Biden turns his back on America or turns his back on the Afghan people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But this has been a repeated occurrence of him where he get, comes out, says what he's going to say, turns his back to the camera, and walks right off. It's just, it's just wild, but the... For me, that I noticed, and I'm sure, Peter, you picked up on this, is just how the press has just been, they're really turning on him on this and in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of scary to see here because the one thing that they're turning on the Biden administration for, they're happy to carry water for the Democratic Party otherwise, but it's the only time that you know he wants to end a war, de-escalate a war, 
that's when the press turns against you. And that kind of says mm. something about, you know, where the mainstream media is headed in the United States. I think it's a little bit dangerous here. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he deserves everything that's coming here. I mean, I think he has very poor communication staff within the White House. Mm -hmm. I think that they really don't know what they're doing because they're not used to fielding these kind of questions, like this actual, uh, you know, harder journalism that, right. uh, you know, I think Republicans, especially Republican candidates, you know, governors like Ron DeSantis are, uh, used to seeing where they're getting hit all day with, you know, some kind of pretty outrageous questions, pretty mm -hmm. outrageous attacks. But the Biden administration, his his folks have not had to field this kind of stuff before, and it shows they have no confidence in him. They don't want him to answer questions. They don't even want the VP to answer questions. Right. Uh, where's Kamala? Well, I mean, <laughs> if it's it's hard to beat. Like, I mean, Biden's approval rating was at forty one percent. I think he in uh, Real Clear Politics, his approval rating was at forty four percent, and hers is even worse. I've read an article today where they said that she has unprecedented bad polling numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's better that they don't have her in front of the camera. But almost as bad is been Jen Psaki this week. Um, right before Biden went out and gave basically that scripted speech, um, she called the withdrawal like a great success or maybe just a success. But still, the fact that they're touting the withdrawal as a, as a success whenever we're seeing with our own eyes the, you know, people falling from the sky, you know, trying to trying to leave the country. It's wild. And the fact that they can't give us a straight answer is how many people are, going to, are still stuck there. Um, after August 31st, if there are American citizens still stranded in Afghanistan, what are they going to do about it? Mm -hmm. These are crazy times. And the fact that that's what they're leading with is that this is a success. Well, they're calling it a success before it's even finished. I mean, that's all I mean, it's, it's reminiscent of, uh, it's really reminiscent of Bush standing on the, yep. uh, what the USS Eisenhower or the, the Enterprise or whatever with the big sign that says, mission accomplished. It's like, well, the mission isn't accomplished. You you did some things, but you're not there yet. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny to see that the, the deny, deny, deny mm -hmm. um, idea of politics, it just does not fly anymore. And I think that's what you're seeing. You know, you were talking about these approval ratings earlier. Um, I can't think of another single event that has so effectively tanked a president's, um, you know, approval ratings, uh, at least not since I've been watching politics. And, you know, these kind of tactics, this idea of, you know, claiming success, trying to pull the wool over the eyes, just trying to deny everything, um, it just does not work in today's day and age. You know, it, it might have worked for, for Johnson and Nixon, it might have worked in the Vietnam era and Korea where you could, uh, you know, spin different numbers and try and, you know, pull the wool over the American people's eyes. Mm -hmm. But when, you know, we're getting live footage coming out of Afghanistan, when we're seeing this all play out on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook, um, when we're getting on-the-ground reports from mm -hmm. uh, the few American reporters that are left and even Afghan reporters, um, it's it's much harder to deny things. And so that's why this, this whole messaging tactic of, really just deny everything and say it's a success. Um, you know, there's the old adage that if you say something long enough, that it eventually becomes truth. Um, I don't think that, I think they could say this for the next decade and it's, it, no one is going to believe it. Well, I mean, outside of Jennifer Rubin, and we can get to her in a moment, um, they used to be able to get away with this playbook whenever the press was in lockstep with them. But now that they've lost confidence or you know, favor with the press and that the press is turning on them, 
now it just looks really bad. Mm -hmm. and, and especially when other like sources like MSNBC, CNN are coming after you about this and how bad your administration botched this withdrawal, that's pretty staggering. And it shows that like, you know, what we were saying is they don't have a clue how to operate in these kind of hostile terror, like with this kind of hostile of a press now. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, and I was, you know, you brought up MSNBC and CNN, but um, you know, uh, they're obviously carry, trying to carry a little bit of water and, uh, you know, but still digging the president as much as possible. But, you know, I do my, my opposition research every morning. I read or look at, at least look at the New York Times, the Washington Post, a lot of these, you know, the Guardian, a lot of these lefty uh, news sources. And even then, I, you know, I was joking that I thought that this, this story was going to blow over relatively soon because I just kind of assumed that uh, these, you know, these newspapers would go back to business as usual. You know, we're going to make fun of Trump. We're going to talk about, mm -hmm. um, you know, all these things that are happening in red states. Uh, but you pull it up and day after day after day after day, the headline is Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty, and they're not being nice to President Biden, and justifiably so. Um, but it, it, you know, the honeymoon period is definitely over. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, the USA Today poll, the one that put them at 41% yeah. approval. Uh, it's USA Today, Suffolk University poll, 41% approval, 55% uh, disapproval for President Biden, you know, his overall uh, job approval there. Mm -hmm. And that really shows what you're talking about, that people aren't buying this whole uh, you know, pulling the fleece over their eyes kind of thing anymore. Uh, the other numbers there, 39% approve of his uh, handling of the economy, 25% mm -hmm. approve of uh, his, his actions at the border, handling the border crisis. Um, you know, it's even down to like 50% on his handling of COVID. The thing he said he was going to come here right. and fix. People know that, you know, this administration is a disaster. And, and this is supposed to be one of the, one of the adults in the room. Right. <laughs> I mean, like going off of that, I mean, there is no real success that the Biden administration can tout. Mm -hmm. um, you know, gas prices, along with inflation on the rise, COVID numbers coming back up. You know, it, the fact that, he kicked off the speech as in talking about his infrastructure bill shadily getting Which passed. Which is still falling apart in a way right. with, the, with the budget reconciliation. We'll get to get that, I guess. But but to kick off the speech as, a, as if there's a growing, in, growing infrastructure crisis that, that demands the American people's attention. No, all eyes are on Afghanistan right now. It's, well, it's wild. It's just classic divert and distract. That's, right. that's He's trying to get everybody to focus on anything but Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not working. It's almost like uh, the people who wrote that speech for him are hoping that people would only turn in for the first two minutes and say, oh, infrastructure, things are real. <laughs> but right. Like, Twitter exists. Exactly. <laughs> you, can, you, know, you can cut up videos now. <sighs> wild. But, what a mess. You know, now that we, we have sufficiently talked, unlike the Biden administration, about Afghanistan, now would be an appropriate time for him to have addressed infrastructure, See, as we yes. are about to do talk about right the, now. Talk about the crisis first, and then talk about Congress. So, um, yeah, if, if you haven't been following along, the, this week was an absolutely huge week in Congress. Um, the House came back early from their, their cushy August vacation. Um, and uh, considered several important pieces. And uh, we can talk about any of them or none of them, um, but they, they passed H.R. 4 in the House, which is the, the bill to federalize elections and make the DOJ basically the arbiter of all election law in the United States. Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. We're going to make Merrick Garland. Always 
Whatever. the champion of election security, I suppose. Um, absolutely bonkers. It's basically HR one in disguise. It's a lot of the same things. Um, but they also did a couple other things. So they, they passed the rule and in a very strange move, um, they did what they call, it's called a deem pass. So in order to bring up uh, legislation in Congress, major legislation, uh, you have to pass a rule that lays out the, you know, how long we're going to debate, um, how that time is going to be split up, those kind of procedural things. Uh, and then normally you're supposed to debate the legislation, look at amendments, you know, do the deliberation that Congress is supposed to do. Um, but instead what they did is they just passed the budget resolution through the rule. Um, and it's a, it's a very weird system that was, you know, it's, uh, basically Nancy Pelosi just railroaded the moderates, uh, and railroaded the Republicans and said, we're just going to do this anyway. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to see that that's kind of the state of budget process. I'm kind of a budget process nerd. I think it's very important that we do things in the right way. Uh, we haven't actually passed a budget through the proper procedures in at least 20 years. And uh, so seeing that happen was, was very disheartening. Um, the, only, the only good thing is that uh, it appears that both Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin, Senator Manchin um, are putting their foot down. They're not gonna vote for three and a half trillion dollars in spending. Um, they're probably gonna vote for something a little bit less than that. Which, you know, uh, you know, when you start talking, you know, a billion here, a billion there, you start talking about real money. But uh, so it's, it's really weird to see all that play out. And then obviously the infrastructure bill, um, which was the sticking point for all this negotiation, uh, is kind of on deck in the House. We really want to get into it. There's been a whole big tiff between moderate Democrats and the progressives on this. And uh, it's astonishing the degree to which Pelosi has been able to get her party together but you can start to see that uh, it's coming apart at the seams and it's coming apart quick. Well, I saw today that um, one of our favorites, Representative Cory Bush, joking, of course, um, tweeted out that the pro House progressives won't support any bill that doesn't have, um, I think it was lowers prescription drugs, expands Medicare, um, universal pre-K, um, well, heck, that's enough socialism. Lowers prescription drugs through price controls, not Correct. through market mechanisms. Correct, yes, through, through socialist price controls. Um, so those are three things right off the top that doesn't seem like if the Senate sends them back something that's not $3.5 trillion that they're going to be able to get on board with. And then if that happens... Then what happens with this infrastructure bill? Does that just fall through? Like, yeah. So that's that's basically the tiff that's going on right now. So the three and a half trillion um, budget re resolution that's that's straight from Bernie Sanders. He's the, the chair of the budget committee in the Senate. He set those limits, and that's his number, right? Mm -hmm. um, so effectively, what the so the, the moderates in the Senate and the moderates in the, in the House are saying, we can't spend this much money. This is ridiculous, and they're right. They, right. They're going to spend uh, a small ridiculous saying that? Yeah, when <laughs> moderate Democrats something about how much money it is. are saying <laughs> that you're spending too much money, uh, you're you're really going uh, you know, footloose and fancy free. But uh, so basically, what's happening is the progressives are saying, no, we demand this three and a half trillion dollars, um, but and in, in, in to ensure that this happens and to hold the feet to the fire, we're going to hold the infrastructure package, that one point two trillion dollar infrastructure package. They're holding that hostage mm -hmm. and saying, if you don't pass this budget with three and a half trillion, 
then we're not going to vote for the infrastructure package, which the moderate Democrats really, really want to get done. Um, And so the moderate Democrats are saying, well, we're not going to vote for the budget unless we do the infrastructure package first. Um, So in round one of this fight, it appears the progressives have won for now. Um, But this this process is going to take at least another month, if not longer. So it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out and whether or not Pelosi, uh, you know, bends to the will of the progressives again. Yeah. Or if she starts listening to the moderate members and starts actually looking towards 2022. Um, Not that I want her to do that. But, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some politics that are at play. Now, there's also a time that's on this, right? Like. Like, at the end of September, if we don't increase the debt ceiling, there's another government shutdown threat looming. Is that is that the case? Or am yeah, I so there's, it's kind of interesting. There's different ways that they could potentially get around that. Um, one of the ways that they've done it in the past, if they haven't gotten their budget all the way through, is basically they just do uh, a continuing resolution and they just continue with the budget caps where they are or the, the debt caps where they are. Um, but uh, if you go out and... Uh, listen to uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen. Uh, she's screaming from the rooftops and saying, Always Yellen. Oh. Always Yellen. Oh. Boo, I hate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's screaming from the rooftops that uh, this needs to get done and needs to get done now. Uh, you know, if we can all remember the, the boondoggle of the past government shutdowns uh, and how that impacted, you know, uh, elections that impacted so much. Um, so they're going to be doing... I. I assume they're going to be doing pretty much everything they can to get this done before the end of September. I mean, that's going to be just embarrassing for the Democrats controlling both, uh, effectively controlling both parts of Congress there and not able to do this because Biden's banking on this. You know, he obviously we just talked about his approval rating. Right. He's banking on throwing some free money out there, uh, you know, for um, especially lobbyists. Mm-hmm. But uh, doing that just to get things kind of stabilize things here. And if he doesn't get these this budget and this infrastructure package, that's a pretty big problem. I mean, he was oh, supposed yeah. to be, you know, they built him not only as like the, the foreign policy expert in right. the 20, 20 campaign, but this uh, great, you know, liaison the, to uh, Congress. This guy he was been the wheeler dealer of Congress, yeah, he, right? Apparently, I mean. <laughs> well, it's, and because uh, we got to remember, everyone's looking towards 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dems want to keep control. They want to expand control in the Senate. Um, the Republicans obviously want to take that from them. Um, and so if, if for some reason that they can't get a budget, if for some reason we do have a government shutdown, um, I predict a, a, a red wave. Like there is, uh, there's already too much floating around. We were talking about it by you know Afghanistan and approval ratings. Um, Literally every single metric, every single metric, every single category. There he's doing pretty that If that would that would certainly be the death knell of uh, the Democratic majority, and so they're gonna. They're going to do what they can to make sure that they get it done because I think that they realize that too. Well, one of the things that another area, another crisis that isn't being talked about is the crisis at the border. Uh-huh. And this week, the Supreme Court, they stopped the Biden administration from terminating the Trump administration's remain in Mexico policy. Mm-hmm. And if you can say that five times fast, <laughs> please go ahead. But uh, so, Luke. This is a regulation that, uh, or a rule that FreedomWorks Foundation and the Regulatory Action Center, uh, one of the programs that you had up here. Yep. Like um, we spent a lot of time working on this, helping get it across the finish line. What 
Did I get it right? Yeah, you pretty much got it right. Okay. So, um, yeah, so if you remember back in, I think it was in 2019, it could have been 2020, um, President Trump issued uh, a couple of different rules on, on asylum, and one of them was this remain in Mexico policy. Um, it has a longer, fancier title, but that's pretty mm -hmm. much what everyone refers to it as. And basically all this said was, listen, if you want to come into the United States and you want to claim asylum and you're coming through the southern border, um, that's great. We want you here. We have asylum for a reason. But uh, you need to remain in Mexico while we look through your paperwork. And this is caused by very real problems of uh, kind of this catch and release problem that we're, we've seen continuously on the southern border, where people mm -hmm. would come across they would fill out some paperwork and then they would just kind of disappear into the hinterland, never to be seen or heard from uh, mm -hmm. again. So shut up for your ICE meeting. Right, exactly. And, and that creates very real security problems. And especially when we're talking about COVID nowadays, that creates mm -hmm. uh, public health problems. And uh, this, this rule was universally demonized. It seemed like anything Trump did on immigration was universally demonized by everyone. Um, and so, uh, you know, as part of his bid to get rid of anything bearing Donald Trump's signature. Uh, President Biden, in his first under 100 days, issued an executive order and basically got rid of this rule and told um, uh, the governing agencies to, to get rid of the Remain in Mexico policy and a couple other immigration policies. Uh, well, the state of Texas didn't take very kindly to that um, because, you yeah, know, the, state the, the, state, the states that are on the border that actually have to deal with the problem um, sued them and said, listen, you, by you getting rid of this policy, you're creating uh, a new burden on us, the state, and our local communities to deal with this problem. Um, and you're not giving us any funding to do that. You're not giving us any support to do that. So this is, uh, you know, this is bogus. It's effectively what uh, the state of Texas said. Uh, and this went through several rounds of, of litigation. And uh, effectively what ended up happening is the Supreme Court denied, um, denied the case, which means that uh, the Biden administration will have to leave that uh, that particular rule in place. And what the Supreme Court said was that this decision was arbitrary and capricious. And so if you you spend enough time in regulatory world, that's a, that's a big phrase that gets thrown around. Basically, if you want to do something, uh, you have to have legitimate reasons for it. You have to have a plan for it. You, have, mm -hmm. you can't just change things willy-nilly because you feel like it on that given day. Mm -hmm. And that's effectively what the Trump or the Biden administration did is they came in and got rid of this rule um, just because it had Trump's name on it. Didn't really give any consideration to anyone. Didn't really ask anybody that was involved. Uh, and the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You've got to actually go through the real process. Um, I should pull that out. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see whether they, they go back at this and try and come, you know, this is kind of, we've seen this several times uh, with different agencies when they've been told that they have to leave something in place. Um, there's a good chance that they'll go back and, and try and make a better argument to get rid of this rule. Um, but as of now, the rule stands, and there's, especially with um, the border crisis being what it is right now, I would not be surprised in the least if they, they kept the, this policy intact. Well, this, they, this might actually help by toll numbers on the border. If they have to remain in Mexico. I mean, it's if the crisis possible. at the border, if things start to get a little bit better, this might help. He should be saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, that was a you know, terrible lapse of judgment for me to try to repeal that rule. Let's put it back in place. Well, it, it's, it's kind of funny because that's exactly what's happened already. There, there were a couple of uh, relatively minor rules that were put in place by uh, President Trump that uh, were immediately rescinded uh, by uh, President Biden, or they started to go through the process to get rid of them, 
Uh, and then they realized the wave of immigrants that was coming, and uh, you know, I think we've uh, the numbers are showing that this is by far the biggest immigrant wave that I've ever seen. Like twenty-one years or something. Like it's is, it's massive at the border. Yeah. And so they've left. They ended up uh, deciding to leave those very quietly. They didn't want anyone to know that they were doing. Right. It. They left those those Trump rules in place. Yeah. That's wild. So. Peter, how the press been recently? I know we, we touched on them that they've started to knock um, Biden on, you know, Afghanistan and such. But have you noticed a shift in the press's attitudes towards this administration? Well, yeah, obviously in the past two weeks, just uh, on Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see if that continues. If like you know, someone's uh, kind of faith in the administration is shaken. It, right. You know, the cat's out of the bag here. I don't know what's going to happen next with that, but... Do you know. think we could see a, like, almost a Jimmy Carter crisis of confidence moment? I think we're totally seeing uh, with the people who actually matter is American voters. Right, right. They're, uh, they always have a crisis of confidence here because they know this guy is all made up. Mm-hmm. Everything they said during the 2020 campaign about, like I said, the adults in the room, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, and everyone who voted for him went along with that just to get President Trump out of office. right. And you end up with something that might, you know, honestly, be, uh, you know, far worse in that regard and, you know, incredibly damaging to, you know, the country overall. Mm-hmm. It's already damaging to us uh, in terms of, you know, how America is viewed in the world. You know, what if we have to, um, you know, obviously we're not uh, very pro-intervention, but what if we have to go intervene in another country at some right. point in the future for whatever reason that is? Do you think anyone's going to trust us after they saw how President Biden abandoned people? You know, in Kabul, abandoned people all over Afghanistan, right. and then had the gall to go back and say, "Oh, well, they actually didn't want to leave the country to begin with, even though these people are climbing onto, you know, C-17 gears." Right. Uh, well, and I, you're already seeing that happen. <laughs> so, if you look at um, what's going on in Taiwan right now, the Chinese are being mm-hmm. much more aggressive. Basically, the only reason that that could be is because they realize that our commitment to our international allies. Uh, is waiting. And I saw like sad to see. Russia and Iran, I believe, were doing joint military exercises. So that's not know, good. They know that President Biden's joke. Right. We all know that, but now the rest of the world knows for sure. Yep. Yeah. No way around it. Now, if we already said that Biden is having a no good, very bad week, um, but I think if I had to give a second place, a runner up for no good, very bad weeks, uh, Andrew Cuomo's name has to uh, enter in that conversation. Gosh, what a garbage <laughs> human being that is. Yeah. You know, uh, not only um, did his Emmy just get revoked, uh, but he left his dog in the governor's mansion, which yeah, is a, a new level of low that I... You know, besides all the nursing home deaths. Right. Just, you know. Oh, which I think today that the new, the, the new governor... Uh, announced that they were off Hopefully, by yeah. 12,000 yeah. nursing home deaths. Yes. I mean, it jumped like, what, 20% for the state of, or so in the state of New York. Right. The number of people. Um, but Ron DeSantis, he's the bad one, right? Yeah, yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. And, you know, this has just been, you know, a mess. I think that he really should have kept the Emmy. So he was acting <laughs> here. Well, he, he didn't give the <laughs> Emmy back. The Emmys took it away from him. Right. Uh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. For discerning viewers, uh, I think I actually called that one. 
uh, yeah, rather, yeah. rather jokingly a few weeks ago when we were first started talking about Cuomo. Um, you know, it's 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 just it's just absolutely wild. I mean, like the the whole thing with his dog, and that now they're saying that. So if you didn't know, um, yeah, he left his dog in the mansion after he uh, moved out very quickly, um, and is looking for someone to like take care of his dog. So. Was his dog a prop? Like, I'm I'm just totally confused hey, by this entire situation. It almost reminds me of the uh, spaghetti and meatballs picture. Oh, the, the one where yeah. it's like you're just staring at the camera like this, and it's like, and a Jen Rubin response, uh, Washington Post conservative Jen Rubin response <laughs> yeah. goes, uh, The boyfriend looks very nice. Glad to see they finished their spaghetti and meatballs or something. It's like, What are we, what are we reading here? <laughs> but that is, uh, you know, I'm just very glad that his uh, press conferences made us feel safe. Yeah, like at the, least he like doesn't. Half my Instagram feed felt the same too. Which can we just talk for a second about the absolute ridiculousness of him actually getting an Emmy in the first place? Yeah, but like I mean, so he was acting. I, he well, he was job. definitely <laughs> acting, of course. <laughs> Not all act- actors get investigated by the uh, New York Attorney. But General. like, should we really be giving politicians awards, uh, national awards for giving speeches about things? Like this doesn't this doesn't make any sense to me. That, that this even happened in the first place. It's like all the actors in Team America World Police. It's like it, that's like becomes more and more and more accurate every day. I think. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the the biggest thing is so not only is his Emmy gone, but what about his book that he released about his leadership through COVID? I oh think. no, he already sold a bunch of those. He's fine. Well, that's true. The, they can't get the money back, but. Or he can't. I guess he could try to, but he's not going to give any of the money back. But still, want to talk about wild? Maybe if bookstores started to move that to like instead of the nonfiction to the fiction section, maybe well, that would work. Or even better, what we should do we should crowdsource uh, a second edition where we add an epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> and we write it. I'm here for it. I'll write that for you. Get that published. That'd be great. It's like narrator. And that was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, it's it's just wild to me, you know, how demonized Ron DeSantis gets and how much flack he gets in in Florida um, for the strategy that he's had. Ron DeSantis, his press secretary, uh, Christina Peshaw. Do you see the uh, the political cartoon that came out? Like the almost like oh, utterly like yeah. misogynistic and sexist thing, uh, you know, coming from a, a of course from a lib. But it's, you know, because it's fine to be that way towards women if they're, you know, if they're conservative Republicans or something. Yeah. Uh, but it was great because they actually got back at them and they made their own version of that and sent it right back. Where it's just a terrible caricature of this neckbeard guy. He oh, deserved wow. It. He deserves yeah. everything he's getting. Uh, That's pretty wild. And but, but good, good to see that. You know, get come up Democrats say. get um, they get awards for for doing nothing. I mean, heck, remember Obama uh, got the Nobel Peace Prize for, for doing for nothing. Drones. Right, for, for droning a bunch of, uh, you know, civilians. And so that's just the, that's just the world that we live in. But speaking it's a participation of, award. Exactly. It's like if you get elected and you're a Democrat, you get all kinds of awards and things and do nothing to deserve them. Mm-hmm. Well, as we do live in this real, real world, we are coming to a close as far as this episode of Pardon the Disruption. Um, If you liked it, please download, like, and subscribe. And if you didn't like it, please pardon the disruption. No, get those lights off!
chocolate, chocolate chip. Well, that hurts my feelings. Please clap.